morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And handling the board for us today is the highly medicated John Dunn. Answering the phones is Cassie. If you want to join our conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663. And Cassie will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Today's guest is a board-certified pediatrician specializing in holistic medicine. Dr. David Berger also has a YouTube channel called Ask Dr. David, where he addresses issues at the intersection of medicine and politics. Welcome, Dr. Berger, or do you prefer Dr. David? Dr. David's great. (laughs) Dr. David is an advanced practitioner of biomedical therapies advocating for the Autism Research Institute philosophy since 1999. In 2005, he opened Holistic Pediatrics and Family Care in Tampa. In 2010, he was appointed assistant professor at the University of South Florida College of Nursing, and he's one of only a few pediatricians in Florida qualified to evaluate and certify medical marijuana for patients under the age of 18. He also advised the FDA before it approved the COVID-19 vaccines. We have a lot to talk about in this next hour, um, but let's start with a general question about how the Ron DeSantis administration is approaching issues of medicine and personal choice. Um, Just last week, he signed four bills that he's touting as the country's strongest medical freedom bills. Those are his words, not mine, medical freedom. What do you think, Dr. David? Is Governor DeSantis a defender of medical freedom? Governor DeSantis appears to be a defender of people who think the way that he does. Um, Certainly, my definition of freedom um, is a person should get a right to choose over bodily autonomy for themselves or for a family member and should have the right to choose or not choose to do what they wish to do. And um, certainly there are some things that um, Governor DeSantis um, advocates for that does talk about choice. You know, certainly we saw a lot of that when it came to the COVID um, pandemic. Um, But certainly a lot of the topics and most of the bills that were passed now was actually kind of the opposite of freedom and medical choice because many people are not being able to get the type of medical care that they would want to have or they will not be able to once these laws go into, into, into effect. Because this freedom is really freedom for some people and not freedom for others. Is that the way you view it? Well, I, I kind of look at that if it's not freedom for everyone, it's not freedom for anyone. So to me, that's just more a matter of a person's um, views lining up with what the laws are being written to say. So yeah. I don't necessarily know if I would refer to that as freedom either. Um, I would just consider that a point of view. Well, one of the bills talks about freedom of speech for, for doctors. Talk about that. What, what is that all about? <laughs> yes. So one of the bills that was passed has declared that a doctor can choose what they do and do not wish to do with any patient or how they want to see that patient. So there, if, so if it is not in line with their personal or religious beliefs, then the doctor does not have to treat the patient that way. What well, is there, I mean... What happened to the Hippocratic Oath? Well, that's a very good question. And... We could certainly make a lot of comments, whether it's what's happening on the individual level or big pharma and industry for that matter, that the hypocritic oath isn't necessarily what's truly held to because if the concept is above all do no harm, um, there's lots of places in our society and medicine that that's not actually happening. But are doctors now required 
to perform certain medical care? I mean, I, I don't under, believe that this really changes anything, does it? Well, it, it, I guess you could say it does and it does not because interestingly, what it says in this law is that you cannot be discriminating against a person's religion or their sex, um, a few other things that I'm not remembering. It does not, however, talk about gender or gender, um, um, a person's defined gender, as I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way, the concern that really seems to be mostly around this particular bill is because it didn't pick um, gender affiliation. It just said sex, which most people would take by birth sex or chromosomal sex, that there is a lot of concern that, especially in the LGBTQ plus community, that a person would not be able to, be, may not be treated because of their, um, because of who they are, as opposed to um, what the procedure itself may be. Although, in a way, to me, it's kind of uh, I don't know if I call it hypocritical, but you know, I just have to. Well, it, the whole thing's hypocritical, so I guess we can start <laughs> there. But um, but you know, for such as you know, certainly you know, one could pose a simple question, okay? Except for in an emergency situation, okay? Would an OB be required to perform an elective abortion on somebody, right? Which is different than the emergency thing where they have Correct. to, right? right? And, you know, um, or for whatever reason, you know, I, they will not on an adult since we know that gender affirming care. Right especially surgical, so we'll talk about 18 years old and above for right now, um, if they say, hey, I'm not going to perform that procedure. And, you know, I, I, I think to a point, certainly nobody should be allowed to force to do anything when it's in a voluntary or um, an optional kind of way. Again, it's different there. So I honestly don't know how much of an impact. I understand the concerns of marginalized communities who may be impacted by this. How much it's going to reality change compared to how things actually are now? Because let's face it, who's going to go to a surgery on somebody who doesn't um, agree with what you're doing, right? You don't want somebody performing a surgery on you if they're like, I'm not, I, I, I'm not in favor of this side. You know, I'm not do that. I'm like, well, I'll find somebody find who is, who's on my team. So I right. get that. I think as much as anything, it's placating to a certain base that he knows that will, okay. um, exactly. will, will do that. Yeah. Similar with his the, the the what he's calling his medical freedom bill, which is largely about. COVID vaccines. Okay. So COVID vaccines right now, people are not really getting COVID vaccines. It's not, we're not wearing masks. So do we even need this? What, and that to me, I'm read my read of it is that this is about running for president in 2024. It is. And I guess just, you know, to, because I always try to look at all sides of a point of view. Like I, I really try not to narrow things down because I want to get as much information as possible. And I, and I think part of this could be like for the next pandemic, you know, so will the mandates that were put in on the federal level be, in, you know, what would it do in Florida if if there slash when there would be the next pandemic? The next so, pandemic, right. although this bill specifically talks about COVID-19. But then it comes into precedence. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, then when he puts an emergency order into place to to refuse that and under the auspices that, well, the Florida law already says this. Right. So it, it's it's. To me, it's a lot of talk. To me, it's a lot of um, again Bluster. trying to get yeah. trying to get his name because we know that if he wants to become the nominee for president, that he needs to have enough people who are in believing to get these things on. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom, and our guest is Dr. David. And right now, we're talking about Ron DeSantis's. Um, 
I air quotes, medical freedom bills. Um, if you'd like to um, comment on that, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 and let us know what do you think about these bills. Um, or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. We'd love to hear from you. Do you know how this would affect uh, the, the ability of uh, public schools to require children to be vaccinated uh, against uh you know, measles. Yeah, there, there's there's you know. nothing, you know, the, there's nothing that's affecting the current law about, you know, the question would be of new vaccines that were under emergency authorizations as opposed to ones that are FDA approved and already on the books. So, so I don't really see that being changed at all. You know, there's the exemptions that exist and then there's not the exemption. So I don't really see much change happening in the way any of that happens. Gotcha. Um, so you had, uh, let's move on to talk a little bit about abortion because that's um, definitely in the news. And you had a patient that made national news because she was um, pregnant with a, a, a baby that was, was not viable outside the womb. Born, It was developing with no kidneys and very um, minimal lung development. She was forced to carry that um, child to, almost to term. Um, because there was a, a ban on abortions after 15 weeks. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this is one of the sadder cases that I've been involved with. Um, Deborah um, found out before Thanksgiving that she was carrying a fetus that had what's called Potter syndrome, and Potter syndrome kidneys don't develop. So first of all, cannot make amniotic fluid, which is both... Um, it's, it's part of our, the way that baby is able to detox, but also it's the cushion, it's the fluid that the baby is floating around in. Mm -hmm. Without fluid, then there's tremendous pressure being put on the pelvis and the uterine ligaments and things like that. Because of that, she was experiencing significant pain, which only got worse as the fetus got bigger. The other issue with Potter syndrome is that amniotic fluid is essential for lung development, for lung tissue develop into the air sacs that allow for oxygen and nitrogen exchange. So she, once she found this out and found that this was not compatible with life, it was before the age of quote unquote viability, mm -hmm. which in medical terms is somewhere around 23, 24 weeks. But because it was Thanksgiving weekend and then the, after that, when they made their decision and then the, she told her doctor, the doctor then had to go to the administration who then was concerned about the law and therefore said, we will not do this. And it wasn't, the, she wasn't really seeking an abortion. She wanted induced labor. Well, induced, well, well, induction of, which is what she was finally able to do at 37 weeks. But it's, when you're talking about a later term type of abortion, such as that, it's, it's essentially like she wanted to induce Got it. sooner so that she wouldn't have the physical trauma that she personally was experiencing, plus the psychological trauma of knowing going for another 10 weeks plus of knowing that she was carrying a child that was never going to see the light of day. Never lived. Now, yeah. one of the chief sponsors of that legislation said, uh, told CNN, I believe it was, that uh, she believed that she should have been able to get an abortion. So what happened there? Then she should have written the law that way. You know, um, ambiguity, people can interpret things their own way. And if, if I was the the OB slash high risk doctor in that situation when I knew that potentially I would be in potential for at least litigation, if not being arrested, if not potentially losing my medical license in my career and not being able to help all the other patients that I help. Because of this, I could understand why anybody in that position would get cold feet. 
You know, I mean, that's a lot for um, for anybody. So, yes, could the doctor have taken a stand and doing it? But at the same time, it was all, you know, what were they going to let litigation go on for months? This child would have been birthed already. Mm-hmm. So so that is part of it. So, yes. Yeah, so I, I'm very aware of that. And I said, well, then understand the consequences of your actions former representative, you know, that um, your body, you know, can only go for so many, so much time here. And if that's what you meant, then that's what you, because, you know, she was saying, well, it's obvious that that child wasn't going to be viable. But the word definition, and there is viability, which is a specific medical term that we all know about. Well, and actually, from what I understand, there was one case where a baby was born with Potter syndrome and had, I think, a kidney transplant or something, and then ended up living. So it was almost like that one case was hanging it up, even though that was a complicated and expensive procedure that these folks, I think, were probably didn't have the means for. Well, not, well I think it's much that was more random, than right? that. It's yeah. much more than that. A, I don't think they knew about it at the time. But furthermore, that particular case was identified much earlier in pregnancy. And so the main thing that was able to be done was an infusion of saline into the uterus itself to serve as amniotic fluid so that those other things could help it. But, you know, so that I believe that was like early, you know, that was like early um, second trimester. Mm -hmm. This was like, and, you know, much further along. Okay. And by then the lungs weren't developing. So that is a different situation. But that's why every medical case needs to be weighed on its own merits. That's why it needs to be something that is a determination between the patient and potential and their family and the medical provider that's who the decision should be made for made by not a legislator who has absolutely no medical background let alone understanding of that particular case because that particular case wouldn't come up when there's a general term right um you so now there is abortion is supposed to be is potentially going to be on the ballot in 2024 or there we're working on getting that on the ballot so there is a currently a petition floridiansprotectingfreedom.com i believe is the uh, website where people can uh, download the petition um and they can sign it and on that website where you it tells you where to mail it to and it also says where to um you know, there's hubs that you can pick up applications mm-hmm. and you can fill them up, drop them off, etc. Uh, but yeah, so of course there needs to be 900,000 plus signatures throughout the state. It has to be th- throughout the state, not just in one region. And what one of the things that they did is they made it a very like two sentence amendment okay. because of the way that the new Florida amendment law process has changed where you're only allowed to, have to change one particular thing. In an amendment. So, you know, in the past, when we voted on amendments, you read through this thing, it's like a, you need to have a legal degree to figure mm-hmm. out what you're voting for. This is incredibly simple and obvious that it talks about viability and that no law can inhibit the an abortion for basically all of these different reasons. And then and then it, and then, of course, for viability of the of the child. So going forward, as well as the health of the mom. But now, of course, we have a new uh, bill, a new law uh, that base that bans abortion after Six weeks. Six weeks. Correct. That essentially is going to ban abortions completely. It, well, well, this does have. Not that I'm defending this bill because mm-hmm. I don't think that this is a. Oh well, we're okay with this. This particular writing of bill would have actually allowed for what happened to Deborah. It wouldn't have happened. Okay. Okay. So they, they did put that. So they did, they did put that, that in, but that of course doesn't do anything for everybody else who. Um, you know, obviously that's an incredibly uncommon reason. Why somebody terminates a pregnancy early? Okay, gotcha. that does nothing for anything else. And of course, you know the first two weeks of gestation, a woman's not even pregnant because it's the first day of the last menstrual period, so they don't typically ovulate for two more weeks. 
So at six weeks, that means they would have only skipped one period. Yeah, one, six weeks, speaking as a woman, I can tell you, there are many times in your life when you go easy six weeks without menstruating. I mean, that's just yeah, how it happens. Absolutely. Um, so it, it, 15 weeks, that's a long time. But six weeks, that's just, you know, crazy. Yeah. It is basically making, yeah. you just so don't it's, know. It's essentially a ban is the way yeah. that, and, and, and the way that they're trying to word is to say, oh, we're not putting a full ban together. But, you know, if, if it, it essentially is. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom. Um, uh, and our guest today is Dr. David, and we're talking about the intersection of medicine and politics. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. Um, Let's move on now to talk a little bit about um, medical marijuana. We're, we'll dive into that. You are one of the few people, in, the only people in the state that is able to prescribe medical marijuana for people under the age of 18. Is that correct? No, that's, not, actually, that right? that's not quite correct. Anybody, any physician who takes the two-hour course that tells you how to enter patients into the registry, nothing in the course actually talks about treatment, um, products, those things or anything like that. You just have to know how to have an opposable thumb so that you can, <laughs> or a finger so that you can um, enter a patient into the registry. Okay. okay. So I am the only active um, practicing pediatrician who is seeing that, but I see adults as well, you know, we, adults and kids. Um, but also it's just about experience. I've been told that I've certified more kids in the state than anybody. I've been told, I don't know how they know this information, but the national organizations have told me that I've certified in the top five of, any, of, of children under 18 um, in the country. I've, I've actually certified many more adults than I have children overall. Um, obviously, the use of THC in a child needs to be under very different consideration compared to somebody who has a developing brain. But I'm working with kids who, who have very severe issues like anxiety, like, um, like epilepsy and seizures, violent autism, um, mm. significant OCDs, PTSDs, you know, things that are very, very debilitating, destroying households. Um, you know, I have can't use cannabis to keep kids in their home and not have to be institutionalized. Yeah. You know, so that, you know, and so that's the type of thing for cancer. I had my, my youngest patient was 18 months old who had brain cancer and she needed it to help her through her chemo. And she's doing amazing now. If you saw her now, uh, it's been more than five years and you would never, ever know. And yet yeah. we, we hear stories about issues with kids ending up in emergency rooms because they've overindulged in gummies and, and cookies that they find around the house that are cannabis gummies and cookies. Do you see much of that? or I've seen very little of that. I've seen a few cases. That's on the parent. You know, I'm not going to punish the kid for right. getting a medical treatment because of the negligence of a parent, right? You know, we... You know, obviously, we 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 would hope that our parents would be responsible. I've had a couple. Keep a them couple away times. from the booze too. By huh? the way. Yeah, that's a good idea. Sure, why not? Yeah, definitely, and the guns too. Um, so uh, we now have uh, uh, Justin Garcia on the line, and Justin uh, is a Tampa Bay Times reporter who recently uh, reported about a judge who uh, prohibited uh, someone on probation from using medical marijuana, even though it was prescribed by a doctor. So, Justin, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me all right? Hello yes. there. Justin, I wonder uh, if you could uh, tell the listeners a little bit about what happened in this particular case you wrote about. Yeah, it was back in January, and it was in Pinellas County Court, and Judge Dorothy Vaccaro 
uh, was entering terms of probation for a defendant uh, for a DUI case in a misdemeanor court. And uh, during the audio, she's talking about, you know, not taking any drugs or alcohol while on probation. And then she kind of, as an aside, asked, um, do you have a medical marijuana card? Uh, and the woman in court responded yes. And she said, what for? She immediately said that she looked like she couldn't have PTSD or cancer at her age. Um, so she couldn't see why she would need a medical marijuana card. Uh, and the woman said she needed it for anxiety, which, uh, you know, anxiety can be linked to, to many other conditions. Uh, and uh, she, the judge essentially denied her. Uh, about three times during the audio, she said that uh, she used her age as a reason to uh, deny the medical marijuana, the use of the medical marijuana during her time on probation. How old was she? Um, go ahead. How old? 21. 21. Okay. Yeah, I, I believe. I've written a few stories since then, so correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's um, okay. I, I, just, I wonder where the judge yeah, comes it was up early with the 20s. idea that, uh, you know, 21-year-old yeah. can't yeah. get cancer or have anxiety. Yeah, it's... Exactly, yeah. And, and, I must and, have and, missed that day in med school when they when they declared that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, um, and then instead, uh, she recommended Xanax um, to, to treat the anxiety, uh, which has, you know, widely known... Uh, side effects and can, can addictive be can be addictive for people when they withdraw, and uh, so yeah, essentially, um, once I got that audio, I kind of put the pieces together and and read the story because I thought it was very interesting. You know that so many years after medical marijuana has been allowed um, in Florida, that this that this debate is still going on, and then of course the courts are saying you know well federal law makes it difficult. Um, for Pinellas County judges to judge how to approach this, and apparently there are at least a few who are doing it. But then in Hillsborough County, right across the bay, they say, well, we don't have judges here who do that. You know, and I've reached out to a few other judicial districts and the Office of the Courts Administrator, and uh, even up there they said, well, we, we haven't heard of that really that much in other judicial uh, districts. So that's what, kind of what I'm looking into now is kind of, you know, what's going to happen next. Um, and I'm hearing, I'm not sure, but uh, that there might be a little bit of a pushback now to to these types of rulings. Uh, so we'll see what happens next. Has there been any reaction from the judge you wrote about? Any response? Uh, or? No, no response. And has there been any reaction generally from the uh, Florida Bar, the Judicial Qualifications Commission, anyone who might have uh, uh, a say in how a judge uh, uh, behaves? I heard that the Florida Bar actually like published a part of the story. Uh, I didn't go look it up. Um, there have been emails and stuff sent in from different uh, groups, uh, not not just in Florida but uh, in other parts of the country as well, that uh, that are kind of speaking out against you know that decision. Um, and uh, so there has there has been a little bit of because it made national news as well. Forbes picked it up and and stuff like that. So um, there are a lot of groups like. Eyeing it, paying attention to it. I asked the public defender over there in Pinellas, you know, how they might approach cases like this in the future, but I haven't gotten an official, an official statement. So I think the best thing to do now is to keep an eye out on cases like this and if any of them um, are challenged in the future. And has this patient uh, gone to a doctor to get Xanax at the uh, recommendation of the judge? <laughs> you know, I, I really tried. I tried my hardest to hunt that down. I went to 
uh, her two known addresses that I could find. Um, I left notes on doors. I uh, spoke to a family member, but um, didn't get didn't get confirmation on that. Uh, for sure. So what do you I think of this, Dr. Say. David? I mean, the, the, the Xanax, I've always had the impression, is a pretty serious uh, 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 drug. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly it can be a very effective medication. Certainly for occasional use, it can be very effective for situational anxiety and that type of thing. The challenge is it both in terms of the side effects, but the real difficulty is being able to get off of it. It's a very addictive substance. Mm-hmm. And people can go through terrible withdrawal. Um, when trying to come off of it. And, you know, obviously one could talk about other um, psychological medications and pharmaceuticals, but, you know, those types of things may not be as so with other medications. But to me, the law is the law. This was a state judge. So quoting federal law as opposed to state law in the first place to me seems really out of place, okay, because this was a state thing. Um, And the state law is very clear, okay? But for a judge... I'm pretty sure that this judge never spent a day in medical school or did a residency or anything else. Um, but for a judge to like, you know, to, to mention another medication, okay? So, you know, it would have been bad enough to say you can't use the medication that your doctor has certified you for, okay? And always to be clear, we're certifying patients to be authorized. We're not prescribing and we're not ordering because those would be illegal on the federal level. So that's the workaround that Florida does. The wording says that we're not using our FDA number, which you would need for ordering and prescribing. We are certifying that they're authorized. So just the wording, how that all works out. Um, but, you know, so it's one thing to say, I'm not allowing you to use a medication that your doctor has authorized for you to do. And it's another, which enough, that would be enough. But then to then actually suggest a medication mm-hmm. with no idea. How does this judge know that this person doesn't have an addict, uh, have other addictions? How does this person doesn't know that, that she's reacted terribly to other benzodiazepines? Or this one, for that matter. So it's yeah. just so out of place. It's so out of line. Yeah, Justin, I just uh, one last question for you. Have you uh, gotten any uh, response or reaction from the medical community, any the Florida Medical uh, Association, any, any doctors concerned about this that you've heard? Yeah, I've had um, a handful of doctors, lawyers, uh, uh, other types reaching out who are who are in the field and just kind of yeah expressing concern. Um, and and in the story, you know, I, I included input from from a, a local doctor in Largo too. So and I, I spoke to uh, for research on the story. I wanted to make sure I had everything right, so I spoke to probably like seven lawyers and you know. Um, a, a few medical professionals, and uh, you know, th- there wasn't a person I talked to that didn't express some concern because you know, um, for every reason that the doctor on the show just just expressed right now, you know. So, right. yeah, we'll see what happens next for sure. Okay, appreciate your reporting on this, and look forward to uh, updates. Thanks so much for calling in, Justin. All right, thank you. Keep up the good work. Um, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom. We're talking to Dr. David about the intersection of medicine and politics. And we will be right back with that conversation right after this. Hi, this is Duncan Strauss, host of Talking Animals, now airing at 11 a.m. on Wednesdays. The time slot is new, but Talking Animals is in its 19th year and remains a show about animals and animal issues, chiefly revolving around a long-form interview with an important figure in the animal world. Guests have ranged from Jane Goodall to Amy Lou Harris to Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. The program also features music, comedy, news, and a quick quiz, Name That Animal Tune. That's Talking Animals every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on WMNF. 
And we're back um, with Dr. David talking about the intersection of medicine and politics. If you'd like to join the conversation, please give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email to dj at wmnf.org. Medical marijuana. So more questions. I got a question about that. What... You know, it's, I don't know how long it's been legal in Florida, medical work, three years, I think? 2016. So 2016. Oh, wow, seven, seven years. years. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing? I know we were just talking about how Xanax is highly addictive, marijuana maybe not so much. Are you seeing, is there more addiction in marijuana, more issues with marijuana use now that it is so readily available? Okay, so one cannot be physically addicted to THC. Okay, um, one could be dependent on it, similar to a person who's doing well on their Prozac may be dependent on their Prozac. Or my coffee. Or sure, I mean, I, I just use that as an example. But we can name lots of things, or running, right? Um, but when a, when a person stops doing that, they will feel bad, right? That's so that so from that perspective, you know, there is there is that in terms of a dependency because I'm dependent mm-hmm. on this medicine to make me feel better, right? Right. Which is why I didn't say addiction. I said. Right. Use. Yes, exactly. Substance but I just want to clarify. Yeah, that's why I want to clarify that. But there is, you know, I know my but medical, obviously uh, people can, you know, who do things recreational every now and then. So right. from that perspective, okay. Now, if one looks at the medical literature, there are no serious medical conditions that are significantly higher. Have there been cases of schizophrenia, especially if there's a family member? Who have, you know, so part of the screening that we do for our patients is ask about any kind of mental health, especially any kind of psychosis in our patients. I have patients, though, with schizophrenia who told me that it's the only thing that makes the voices go away. <laughs> you know, so, so it's a very individual thing, what a person does. For most people, it's not getting to the root cause. Now, I say for most people because there certainly are situations where because cannabinoids are anti-inflammatory, so people who have anti who have inflammatory conditions, you can get to that. But it's still not saying why is this person in a hyperinflammatory state in the first place? Mm-hmm. And that's where all of the other stuff that I do when I'm looking at the importance of anti-inflammatory diets and making sure that people have optimized vitamin D and zinc levels, which to me means in the middle of range, not at the very bottom of range. Mm-hmm. Um, of um, making sure that their intestinal microbiome, that their levels of the good flora are appropriate. If there's any pathogens like candida yeast or certain bacteria like clostridia that can that can impact can cause leaky gut that can make substances that actually can impact the brain i've seen children with autism incredibly violent and including out of completely out of control be put on an antifungal medication and their symptoms goes away wow yeah so that's the root cause stuff that i'm talking about right um so antifungal related to inflammation is that what you're saying oh yeah okay as well as it so inflammation in terms of we know that there is more inflammatory cells and immunological cells in our gut than there is anywhere else in the body. Hmm. It's actually the same thing true for nerves. We have no, more nerves in our gut than we do in our brains as well. Um, but the it's, the it's what's growing there that's important, the good guys. A, a healthy person has 10 times more good bacteria living in their gut than they do cells of human origin in their own body. So we are, although our cells are bigger, when we're walking around, a healthy person is 90% bacteria by cell count. And so the that's where the inflammatory process often starts. Wait, so say that again, we're 90% bacteria? By, by cell count, not by size of cells, because the human yeah. cells are bigger, but by actual nuclei, I guess you so could I'm say. So I'm 90% bacteria right now? 
Yeah. Well, but, that, that which is contained within your skin, I guess okay. you could say. Or, and, uh, but, but that which is on your skin and that which is living in your gut, which is technically considered part of the outside world since the, it goes in one side and out the other. So there's a tube that connects the outside worlds there. So, but, but, so we obviously don't have these bacteria in our lungs and on our brains. That would be a bad problem. Yeah. But in terms of actually living within the organism, the symbiotic organism that we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, on that note, let's go to the phones. So we've got um, two callers on the line. Um, caller, you're on the air. What's your name and what's on your mind? Hi, I'm Joel. Hi, Joel. And, uh, I know your voice I, anywhere. Uh, thank you for this show. It's a wonderful show. I, I must uh, uh, express my concern before my question. My concern is that these uh, uh, elected officials who are delical are... Uh, are um, cleverly using the law to pass bills that, uh, uh, through their misinterpretation of the New Testament, and who are passing these laws that uh, take freedom away from doctors and patients. And I'm really concerned about that. And the question you, Dr. Berger, um, is uh, uh, what, what else could this possibly lead to? Well, yeah, that's a great question, Joel. And um, that's what the concern is because there's some slippery slopes here. You know, obviously, you know, even in terms of the abortion situation, um, at, you know, Jewish people, we believe that life begins at the first breath of life. And so I know that there's actually some rabbis who are actually part of the lawsuit who are saying, hey, if you're making, if you're defining life there, you're going against our religion. Hmm. Um, and so that's not freedom of religion right there. How's that for freedom? Hmm. Um, and obviously that doesn't mean that all people, obviously, you know, 65% of Floridians believe that abortion should be legal in most or all situations up to a certain point. Okay. Only 11% of Floridians believe that there should be a total ban. Okay, where's the majority? Where's the minority there? And, and what's happening that we're actually seeing, right? So certainly there could be a lot of other things that, that once you start opening that slippery slope of, of using a person's interpretation of a, of a religious text as a way of um, therefore setting law, that seems rather anti-First Amendment to me. Yeah. We're really at kind of a tipping point, I think, where there are so there is so much of this intersection with medicine and politics. And like you're saying, is in a lot of these issues, it's the minority that are making these. We're following the the desires of the minority. So mm-hmm. the question is, you know, when is that going to change? When are we going to find that we pushed it too far? It um, seems very and, similar. And the pendulum is going to swing. To the, more towards the center rather than where it is right mm-hmm. now. We're seeing some of these same uh, debates over what, you know... Thank you for the call, Joe. Yes, thanks, Joe. Uh, freedom, you know, what is freedom? Uh, it depends on uh, who's looking at the freedom. For example, in the schools, there are people who want to ban books because they don't like them. Right. But what happens to the freedom of the parents who want their kids to read these books? Right. If you don't want your kid reading a book, send a list of the books that you don't want the librarian to check it out. And so the teachers tell you read. That's where your freedom lies. Right. But you're, imp- and you're impeding other people's freedom if you're not allowing them the access to books that have been historically part of, of libraries, etc. So, again, that's, you know, I understand where different people come from. I understand that if one's religious belief 
is that life begins at conception, which again, not everybody agrees with, but I have tremendous sympathy for somebody who that's their belief system. It's just the imposing it on other people. That's the hypocrisy for me. That is where the line, in my opinion, gets drawn because you're there. This not freedom, as you say, freedom for me, as opposed to freedom for thee. Um, I think it's a great, a great line because that's, that's where that's happening. You know, if, if a, if a teacher is not allowed to have a picture of their same sex partner on their desk, the way that any other teacher would. But if it was a, a cisgender relationship, mm-hmm. um, that's that's a problem. If a you know, I mean, we're talking about so many things because of the concern. You know, fifth graders are not allowed to be taught about menstruation. Now, back when we were growing up, it was more of a middle school start of, of periods, right? Mm-hmm. But so many girls are starting periods in fifth grade now. Okay, it's a generational thing. Imagine if your friend starts bleeding right next to you. Okay, maybe you don't have a sister. Maybe your mom's private about her periods or you don't live with your mom or, 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 okay? And now you have a teacher who's rushing her to the nurse's station because this needs to be taken care of and they can't even discuss it afterwards, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you mean, you know, the fact that actually gender identification is not, it, it was up until fifth grade because elementary school teachers and uh, uh, students were not mature enough to have conversations about genders and relationships, et cetera. Now they're making it for 12th graders were, of course, high schoolers are very much part of that Very much part of that. Yeah. I, I want to get back and talk more about what's going on in the schools, but we've got a caller who's been on the line for a while, so let's go to that caller and then come back to this conversation. Um, you're on the line. Uh, what's on your mind? Oh, yes. DeSantis Santa signing the Protection of Medical Conscience Act. I don't know if you mentioned if there's anything in the law with which you disagree uh, or if Maybe you think he passed a good law for the, uh, with a hidden motive of getting reelected. I'm not sure if you have any criticism of it, but I think it's to save municipalities from lawsuits for trying to mandate uh, emergency use authorization products. Um, and you know, in Chicago, New York, they just ruled against the cities for having done so, ordering the public employees to be reinstated with back pay. And um, in the lawsuit in Chicago, they mentioned that uh, the unions were ignored. The unions did not want to be mandated to take the COVID shot for their, the, the public employees. And um, also, I want to mention on, uh, you know, on Monday's Dr. Fred Harvey, uh, he's, he's speaking out about the spike protein that the COVID shots are continually producing in the body, that it does not stop. He's mentioned the work of the research of Dr. Bruce Patterson. And, of course, these spike proteins can cause clotting. The FDA has talked about myocarditis, the heart inflammation. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think it's outrageous that the president would unilaterally and arbitrarily try to mandate employers of over 100 to get the COVID shot. He failed when he tried the Supreme Court ruled against him, but he did succeed in allowing the federal employee to be mandated. And uh, and on the, on the book, um, I, you know, I, on the books in the schools, I'd recommend checking out the, that they are pornographic in the March 8th uh, press conference that DeSantis had held at the start of the conference that they could not show the books on TV because they are pornographic <laughs> and they're cartoons. Uh, they're showing, they're encouraging kids to hook up on Grinder. That's encouraging children to be preyed upon and sexually trafficked. The more vulnerable ones are more likely to follow that advice, I think, <clears throat> not the ones they're you know, trying to influence to be more accepting. Chris, is this, you're, this is Chris from Clearwater? 
Yes. So I, I want to let's let's hear from Dr. David what he thinks about what you were what you were saying before about the Dr. Fred Harvey and the the COVID vaccine and the spike proteins because the doctor was here nodding as you were talking and I want to hear what his response is. Okay, spike protein messes people up. That's why people get sick from COVID because of spike protein from this virus. The specific SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Other coronaviruses have spike proteins. The typical children infections of coronaviruses that we've dealt with forever. So in my opinion, do vaccine reactions occur? Yes. Is it due to the spike protein that's produced as it? Yes. COVID illness happens from wild disease. Is it from the spike protein? Yes. So I think that there is a common denominator that may be in play here. Okay, in that if in a subset of the population, because, you know, obviously many, many, many people were vaccinated who had no problems whatsoever. Many, many people had the virus with no problems whatsoever. So I think that the real question is what might there be common between those people? My investigations and my research over the last 25 years tells me that this is coming back to a lot of what we were talking about a little while ago. How does a person's body react to inflammation? Do they become hyperinflamed from a particular thing that's a trigger, right? The cytokine production. We learned about the cytokine storm that can happen during that second week of people who get COVID. We've learned about long COVID, okay? And we've heard about the cases of myocarditis, right? So all of these are hyperinflammatory conditions, that were triggered by something, okay? And that is why in my belief, and if you look at all of the research that's come out relative to COVID this past few years, who were the people who were most likely to be protected if they caught COVID? People had good vitamin D levels, people who had had spent a lot of time in the sun, people who actually live more in the South and have more time in the sun during the wintertime especially, Mm. and people have good zinc levels, okay? And so again, that's where it comes back to anti-inflammatory diets. What can we do as an individual to reduce our hyper-inflammatory potential, okay? And so, you know, yeah, spike protein is the problem, right? And is there information that has shown that what we were taught originally, that the spike protein that was being generated was just happening within the cell itself in that muscle, And has there been subsequent research that shows actually in some people, it may be actually leaving that muscle and and going elsewhere in the body through the circulation. And I think that those are all things to take into consideration. But for me, that same, you can replace the word vaccine and put the word wild virus in, and it's the exact same conversation. So how can we keep ourselves healthy in order to combat whatever the insult that comes our way? Okay. Um, in terms of no, the book, I, yeah. I, I would disagree. I, I would disagree because the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is not known to integrate into your DNA, as uh, Lund University in Sweden has shown, and uh, you know that the, the mRNA shots from Moderna and Pfizer do, um, like a study intracellular reverse transcription of Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 mRNA vaccine uh, in vitro in human liver cell line uh, from January 2022, a peer-reviewed study in uh, issues of uh, current issues of molecular biology. So um, I think there's a, a huge difference. And, you know, and, and when it comes to uh, you're mentioning abortion and, and the deliberate commission of aborticide for which the misnomer abortion, which is a miscarriage, is so commonly incorrectly applied, the pregnancy is terminated. But with the COVID mRNA shot, there's the synthetic genetic spike protein that can be incorporated into the DNA as little as six hours, like that study says. That cannot be terminated from your genetics. So 
bodily autonomy must be acknowledged. A fetus can be removed, though there's no apparent way to remove a synthetic DNA from the COVID mRNA shots once it's gotten into our cells. Chris, uh, Chris, well, Chris I, I do ahead. want to make one comment about that. Chris, okay? thanks for the call. So, yeah. first of all, a study is a study. Okay, and there's a reason why we do meta-analyses. There's a reason when I was taught when you see a study that supports or denies a particular argument, you read it, you interpret it, you assimilate it into your knowledge base, and you put it onto a shelf, and you wait for other studies to come out in order to 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 be able to assess. Because there's all types of variables that can come into play here. Okay, but I would also argue that the DNA of which we replicate, okay, into our you know, actually our, our stem cells, et cetera, okay? Even if it was so that where that shot was placed, where the messenger RNA is, because there's a difference between the messenger RNA and the actual spike protein itself that could be in circulation, if anything, that small, minute amount of messenger RNA relative to how much DNA and mRNA we have in our body, let's take it to the, that this study was correct. And so in that particular cell or muscle where it was injected, that doesn't mean it's changing around a person's overall genetic code. It's different. Um, let's get back and talk a little bit more about what's happening in the schools. And we, we only have about 10 minutes left. So we want to talk about that and also about transgender care. You had started talking a little bit about banning books in schools and whether or not people can talk about their gender identity or their sexuality and what kind of families they have. Why does that concern you as a pediatrician? It concerns me because of the mental health aspect, okay? Um, we know that people in the LGBT community, especially those who are trans, are much more likely to have anxiety, depression, suicide attempts, and kill themselves. That's what makes it a pediatric issue. So you have kids there sort of being told if they feel uncomfortable, they're different, they're weird, or they don't have any, any context for it, that you feel like is a mental health issue it's causing mental health problems in oh, kids. Oh, I, I think that's rather conclusive. Or and even about their families. They might feel like... studies plural on that. Yeah. Or even just feeling weird about their families. I have two dads. I have two moms. I can't talk about that at school. They feel like an outsider, huh. a weirdo. It, they feel, yeah. It's marginalized. We should not be marginalizing people. You know, if we are all created equal... You know, if we all have the same human basic rights, if we all have the same constitutional rights, that is what freedom is about. And when you pick and choose and decide who does and doesn't get to fall under those auspices, you know, and it's such a misnomer. Youth are not undergoing surgical procedures for trans changes. Well, that's okay. something that uh, DeSantis mentions almost every time he talks about uh, this issue is, he, he talks about it being Six general, general, general having, mutilation. Yeah. General yeah. mutilation. They're cutting off private parts of six-year-olds. I mean... Yeah, that's bunk. Well, general mutilation, totally yeah. loaded term because there yeah. is real general mutilation that goes oh. on, but not in these... This yeah. is not the context in which that happens. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a Jewish person. I've been circumcised as part of my religion. I don't have a problem with it, okay? But... Some people, well, call, some people, might call, people call that general mutilation. That and, yeah. you know, and that certainly happens on a lot more Floridian kids... Than, than what they're talking about. Now, are you talking about potential for l allowing somebody to dress that they wish to dress, that they feel who's part of who they are? Are you talking about a, a hormonal that can be taken until a person can become 18 um, and can make their own decisions if they want to do something more procedural? Well, right? should, you, should the hormones be allowed for kids under 18? I believe that, the, okay, this is what parental rights is all about, okay? A parent can get a 16-year-old tattooed. 
Okay, with with their consent, and right? they can allow them to be married. There are laws well, yeah, that parent, govern the age that's they that a child years, can get married. A year of age. But well, they also can't yes. treat their children in a certain way. You can't lock right. them in a closet and feed them dog food. I mean, you can get arrested for that. Right. So I, I mean, not that we're equating these, but there no. are no, we're not. To but I, so this should be between a family, yeah, and their doctor. There's no place for government to be involved in that. And if you're a libertarian. You need to believe that. You can't pick and choose your libertarianism. You know, and I you know, so this is, you know, it, the government should not be involved in personal health care decisions, period. And you would think that might include uh, what pronoun you choose to use. Right, uh, because that's school. so hurtful to people, right, to actually to respect a person who says, hey, call me this. You know what? My name is David. If I decided – and my birth name is David. If I decided that I wanted to be James – I didn't necessarily go change my birth certificate or my, my go into the courthouse to change it. Please, out of respect to me, I associate more with James. There was a David in my family. He was a bad guy. I don't want to be called that. I'm making that up. That did not happen in my family. <laughs> um, but, you know, so how is that really any different? You know, it's respect of another person. I'm pretty sure that all religions are based upon that. So if you're going to be claiming religion on it, you're not following that condition. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Right. Be respectful of others. Some of those core things that we've learned about it ain't happening in the name of religion. Uh, You're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom. And our guest is Dr. David. We're talking about the intersection of politics and medicine. Right now, we're talking about transgender care, um, surgery or hormone treatment. And what are your thoughts? You can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send an email to dj at wmnf.org and let us know what do you think about gender-affirming care for teens um, and uh, people under the age of 18. Um, We'd love to hear from you. So are, do you, are you treating, I, I know you can't talk specifics about it, but do you do gender affirming care in your practice? I've never been asked to. You know, um, I've never been asked to. I certainly have patients who are undergoing it. Mm-hmm. And I have patients who have told us, you know, what their pronouns wish to be or how they wish to be addressed. And of course, that's always done with respect. We have a special place in our chart where we're actually able to note that. So whenever somebody calls up the office, that it's very clear um, what a person wishes to be called for. Um, when well, that's something that they are in schools can't do anymore, right? You know, the kids aren't allowed to be called by their chosen pronouns. Is right. that something that's happening? Yeah. That's right. So, I mean, that's part of what that's part of what the bill is. Right. And right. so, um, yeah, so. It, it does happen, you know. I mean, I'm not experienced with it. I'm not a hormone specialist, right? I'm not right. an endocrinologist. So I wouldn't be clear, um, you know, on even what to do in that situation. Um, but I would certainly support a patient. I would certainly explain to them how they can, in whatever legal way, accomplish what they need to accomplish in order to accomplish what they need to do. Um, one of the things in the last few minutes, so I know one of the topics that's important to you is autism. Um, so I'm going to ask you this. Is autism caused by... Uh, Vaccines. Okay. There are way too many people in this world who have autism who have been vaccinated. I'm sorry, the other way around. There are people who have been vaccinated who don't have autism. Mm-hmm. I do have patients who have autism who were never vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that that's the, not quite the way I would answer it. The question is, could, coming back to what we were talking about before, do I think that something immunological can happen to the wrong person at the wrong time where their immune systems are then triggered in a way to cause all types of symptoms, including autism. Mm -hmm. I do believe that this is true. 
Okay, um, there has been increase in autism in people who have had COVID. There's increases of, of autism who have had other infections. You know, we now know that adenovirus is one of the number one causes of type one diabetes, as an example. So I, but I, at the same time, I did have two patients earlier in my career whose parents came in thinking that their kid was um, was became autistic after getting an MMR vaccine, who we then actually, through nutrition and gut health and all that, had recovered the kids and they were ready to go into kindergarten. And then they got a second MMR vaccine and became vac- became autistic a second time. Wow. So they do happen, okay? But that doesn't happen to everybody, right? Everything in life should be asked, and this is the most basic question. What's the pro versus the con of any medical decision compared to the alternatives that are out there? That is my definition of medical freedom, okay? Mm -hmm. So if a family comes to me and says, hey, my child had a regression, my kid's eczema started right after this, this happened with my other, I'm not comfortable giving my kid more vaccines. I believe that's part of medical freedom also. We talk about, we talk the pros, we talk the uh, the benefits. Um, We talk about the risks of vaccinating and not vaccinating. But ultimately, it's up to the patient, to the parent, in order to make that decision. Because for me, I would be hypocritical for all of the other stuff that we've just talked about if I didn't respect that parent's decision also. But can they go to school without those vaccines? I'm sure they can, yeah, Yeah. because through religious exemptions. And uh, obviously, if a a child had a reaction to a particular vaccine, they could be medically exempted in that situation. So, yeah, so it's just a matter of, you know, knowing what to do. But, yeah, you're not one is not breaking any Florida laws if the right papers are filled out. So, as a matter of course, do you recommend vaccines or do you go over the the pros and cons with all of your uh, yeah. I recommend people understand what's going on. I recommend that they understand the dangers of the diseases. I understand how uh, how likely they may become in contact with the disease. Obviously, what age a person is. Uh, An infant um, who catches pertussis, whooping cough, is much more likely to have a hospitalization than an 11-year-old, for instance. So, you know, so we talk about them individually. When a parent says to me, a mom of a baby who says, I tested negative for hepatitis B, I'm pretty sure that my infant is not going to be shooting up or having sex anytime soon. Why would I be doing it at this point in their life as opposed to, say, middle school, now that middle school is the new high school in terms of what kids are doing? I don't have a good argument for that. Mm-hmm. You know, so and that's why I think, you know, so, you know, when I talk about vaccines, I also talk about, well, what vaccines are more relevant to your situation? You know, give, let me give you the information. I want you in, reading information from multiple sources, not just getting information from one source. But ultimately, to me, that's part of where a family's and a parental choice is. I have read that we're seeing more autis- aut- cases of autism, but probably because uh, we're better at diagnosing it. Yeah, I actually don't fully disagree with that. I just, I believe that, um, yes, there's been more awareness, but that's been happening for about 10, 15 years now. If you look at the numbers that are about one in 40 at this point, and the number keeps going, it was one in 55, one in 75. So it keeps on going up. I think it's because of a lot of environmental toxicity. Mm. I believe that the BPAs, that the forever chemicals that we're being exposed to, the pesticides, all types of things, and also not having good, clean, healthy food sources that help reduce the inflammation that comes back to what we were talking about before in terms of what can trigger somebody in an abnormal way. Um, Dr. David, thanks for being with us today. It's been a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks to all the folks who called and sent us emails. We appreciate it. You clearly Uh, take a holistic approach to medicine. Yep. Um, Up next is um, Harrison Nash with three hours of fantastic music. That's coming at you right after the NPR uh, headline news. You are listening to WMNF Tampa.